please turn in your Bible this morning to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And this morning I'll just read verse 17 of Ephesians 6. Paul says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Well, let's ask God to help us in prayer as we come to the preaching of His Word this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this particular portion of it, the last part, or this section of Ephesians chapter 6, about the complete armor of God. Help us to continue to learn about this armor that you have provided us as we do battle against the devil himself and seek to defend ourselves from his wiles and fight this spiritual battle. May we all do it with faith and with zeal and with utter trust in our Savior who supplies this armor and who alone can deliver us. So hear us and help us and speak to us through your word this morning, for we ask it all in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we work our way through this passage on the complete armor of God, starting at verse 10 and going through verse 18, we come today to this piece of armor, the sword, mentioned in the last part of verse 17. The verse starts, take the helmet of salvation, and then, and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. So that's the piece of armor or the weaponry that we'll be considering today, in fact, this morning and this evening. My plan for the day is to just cover three headings, the identification of the sword, the preparation of your sword for battle, and then third, the use of of your sword in battle. Likely, I'll only get to the first two things this morning. I'll be spending most of the time on the second thing, the preparation of your sword for battle. And then this evening, God willing, we'll focus on the use of your sword in battle. And since I'm preaching two sermons on the sword, it's my plan Um, which was not my plan before a couple of days ago. The reason it became my plan was because uh, Pastor Hoffmeyer, who was on the schedule to preach in the evening, had to back out of it because he had a relapse of his cold that he had when he came back from the Philippines. And so I was next man up, and I thought the easiest way for me to preach two messages would be to just let my first message get larger and then figure out where to cut it. And that's what I have done. So we'll see how that works out. But we'll start out then with the identification of the sword, the sword of the Spirit in verse 17. 
It says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it's very simple to identify the sword because it states it right there. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit because the Word of God is given to us through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Many of you are familiar with the text, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, where it says that Scripture came to us because holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It was given to us through the agency of the Holy Spirit of God. It is thus the very Word of God. The Spirit worked in such a way in bringing us the Scripture that though He used human authors, and we could say even that the um, personality of each writer, we saw that in the Sunday school class when we saw about Hag Haggai the prophet, how he uh, was concerned to make his point that he is a prophet of God. He was speaking the word of God. Every writer is different in the scriptures. They were men who had their own personalities. God took up those men and used them and their own personal inclinations and thoughts in many cases uh, enter in. But ultimately, it is God's thoughts that are given to us on the pages of the Word. It is God's Word that we find there. That's because of the superintendence of the Holy Spirit of God. So the identification of the sword is Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God, as it says. So that leads us into the second heading where we'll be spending the rest of our time this morning. And that is the preparation of the sword or the preparation of your sword for battle. You're called to do battle. I have pointed out, other writers have pointed out uh, in commenting on this passage, that most of these weapons are defensive. You have a breastplate, you have a shield, you have a helmet. They're all to deal with those fiery darts or those arrows of the devil that come at you. Well, this is not simply a defensive weapon, though it can be a defensive weapon. If someone attacks you and you didn't provoke the attack, then if you take out your sword and you thrust him through with it and kill him, that's still being used as a defensive weapon. So it still fits in that this is a defensive battle that the Christian fights, but we can uh, take thrusts at the wicked one, so to speak, and we can especially do that using the sword of the Spirit. So we start out then with this point of the preparation of your sword for battle. I pulled out a book. I was downstairs um, at our house and I was uh, using an exercise machine and there's, there used to be my son's room and we've left some of his things there, and he had a few books there, and one of them was, I pulled it out, it was called The Guidebook for Marines, back from his Marine Corps days about 10 years ago, plus, and I said, well, this reminds me of the sermon series I'm preaching right now, so I pulled that book out, and I was leafing through it a little bit. One of the things I saw was there was a lot in there about weaponry, 
a lot of writing about specific firearms, what they were, what they were called, what they were for, how they are to be used, how they're to be cleaned and cared for between uses so that when it's time to use them, uh, they work, they function as they're supposed to function, and about the need for practice with your firing arm on the range and how to do that and so forth. And it made me think of that when I came to this point of the preparation of your sword for battle. How do we prepare our sword for battle? There's a sense in which we don't prepare the sword because the sword is the word of God. It's already prepared. It's already complete. It's already perfect. But what I mean, of course, is really preparing yourself for how to use that sword for battle. So as we consider this point of the preparation of your sword for battle, I have one, two, it looks like I just have, no, I have three headings, three headings. And the first one is this, the basic discipline, the basic discipline you have to engage in for having your sword ready for battle. It doesn't have moving parts like an M1 rifle or whatever it is that the Marine Corps uses. Um, it's just a sword. But how do you prepare it, or we could say it this way, prepare yourself to use it so that you're ready to use it when the need arises, when you start taking the fiery darts of the wicked one? Well, the basic discipline that you use to prepare your sword is Bible intake. That's a phrase I borrow from Donald Whitney. Some of you may have read his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. If you're a young Christian especially, and you've not read that book, I double highly recommend it. It's a very good book by Donald Whitney. And in his book, and I mention it because especially he has, I think, five categories. I have five in front of me listed, and I think I borrowed them all from his book. He speaks about hearing the Word of God. That's one way you take it in. Reading the Word of God. Studying the Word of God. Going beyond just reading through a chapter or more in your devotional reading for the day, but then uh, drilling down and looking at some of the words and finding out what the Greek word is maybe that lies behind it, comparing other passages that are similar to that passage or use some of the important words in that passage. So hearing the word, reading the word, studying the word, and then he adds to that memorizing the word of God. Think of that passage in Psalm 119.11, which fits very well in with this passage about spiritual warfare, and especially this part about the sword of the Spirit. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm going to make the point uh, later on, maybe this evening, that that's really especially what the battle is about. That's what Satan wants to do. Get you and me to sin. So in order to avoid that, the psalmist says, I've memorized the word. Your word have I hidden in my heart. And then the, the fifth way of taking in the Bible, the fifth method of Bible intake, to use Whitney's language there, is meditation. 
meditating on the Word of God. Psalm 1, verse 2, which we'll look at in a minute, speaks about the righteous man. He's different from the wicked man. One of the ways he's different is this. His delight is in the law of the Lord, the Word of God, and in His law He meditates day and night. He thinks about the Word that He's memorized or that He's just read. He thinks about different parts of it. He turns it over in His mind again and again. Turn with me back to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 for a moment for a good text on this point. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua, as was mentioned in the Bible class this morning, took over for Moses, and he was probably in fear and trembling, being a younger man, having only served, as Pastor Carlson mentioned, as the uh, water boy, in a sense, we could say, for Moses. But now he was thrust into the leadership of this vast nation of the Israelites who did not have a home, but were on their way to their home that God was going to provide. And he was no doubt fearful and hesitant at some points. So just notice breaking into the chapter here at the beginning, and and this note is sounded over and over, but this verse really encapsulates the message that God gives uh, to, let me look at the title, Joshua at this point. It says, this book of the law, so in other words, the books of Moses, the five books of Moses, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. So meditation is another way to take in the word of God and keep the word of God in your heart and in your mind so that in the hour of trial, you will be ready to do battle, to fight, and to face the fiery darts of the wicked one. So there's the basic discipline here for being prepared to use your sword in the battle. It's Bible intake. It's interacting with the Word of God on not only a regular basis, we could say, but a constant basis as far as we are able as Christians. The second heading then, under this heading of the preparation of your sword for battle, is the importance of this discipline. The importance of this discipline. And I'll just say this. It is of chief importance. The word I have in front of me in my outline is, it is of capital importance importance. It stands at the head of the list of all that is important in the Christian life. Now we can say there are many things in the Christian life that are of capital importance, but this surely is one of them. Bible intake. Just let's notice some of the scriptural witness to this. We'll look at a couple of passages I've already Uh, mentioned and read from. I just read Joshua 1.8, so let's start there. Joshua is told to meditate on the book of the law. It says this book is not, should not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. So he's to think about it. He's to turn it over in his mind. And then we read in the last part of that verse, so it says that you may 
observe, to do according to all that is written in it. And then these words, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Probably one of the reasons that Joshua was in fear and trembling about what lay lay ahead of him was he didn't want to fail. He knew what a faithful leader Moses was. He knew what um, a commanding personality perhaps Moses had, especially after those 40 years of leading the people of God. And he thought, I'm not Moses I'm not like Moses, and he was in fear and trembling. And probably one of the things that gave him the most fear is that with the daunting task before him, he might not succeed. He might fail. He might fall flat on his face. So the Lord says, meditate on the things that Moses has given you. Keep them in front of your face. Keep them at the forefront of your mind constantly by meditating on them. Then you will prosper, then you will succeed. It is of capital importance. May we assume that Joshua got that message and he did that. And that's why he was blessed in his leadership of the people, in their entering into the land and their conquering the land and then inhabiting it. Or let's look at Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, another section that I quoted from already. The first psalm, and we read in these first three verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, And now especially these words in verse 2, this is Bible intake here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and it focuses again on meditation. And in his law he meditates day and night. And then notice, just like with Joshua, it talks about his meditating on the word of God. Then it says you will prosper. Then, if you do that, you will succeed. And so we have a similar transition here. He meditates day and night on the word of God. And then what happens? Verse 3, he, the man who does that, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And then Psalm 119 as well. I already quoted one verse from Psalm 119 in this little section I want to read right now. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? How can he be holy? How can he stay holy? In the midst of this wicked world, in other words, in the midst of the spiritual battle, how can he live a holy life? How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Listening to the word of God, reading the word of God. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And then we come to this Bible intake method of memorization your word i have hidden in my heart that i might not sin 
against you. You see something of the importance here of Bible intake. Constant interaction with the Word of God. So you know what it says, so you understand what it says, and so on. Taking heed to God's Word, and in part, verse 11, memorizing it, hiding it in your heart, is the way that a young man can cleanse his way, that he can keep from sin. Or another text that tells us the importance of the Word of God in our life as Christians is John 17, verse 17. In this chapter, we have the prayer of our Lord Jesus on the night before He died. He was praying on that night. His disciples were there with Him. They heard Him pray for them. And here's one of his brief statements of his prayer. He's praying this to his Father in heaven. And he says in verse 17, Sanctify them by your truth. To sanctify is to cleanse. Similar to the statement in Psalm 119, verse 9. How shall a young man cleanse his way? How can he live a holy life? How can he be holy in this wicked world? Jesus says, Sanctify them, Father, by your truth, and then your word is truth. It is the truth of God's word that God especially uses to sanctify his people, to make them holy. I trust most of you do look at it that way, and I trust that's one of the reasons you're here Sunday by Sunday to hear the word of God preached. Because you know how much you need the word of God and to be sanctified by the truth. Let's just look at one more passage. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. I'm multiplying passages. I don't usually use 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 passages to make a point. I'm using it for this reason, to emphasize, as I said, the capital importance, the chief importance of Bible intake for the child of God. 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. Now let's read verses 1 and 2 because it's the beginning of a sentence at verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Again, you see, the idea is to put away sin, to keep from sin, to win the battle, the spiritual battle against the devil. Then it says in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So you have a battle to fight against the devil to help keep you from sin. You've got to quit yourself like a man and be a soldier. But what's one of the ways you need to do that? You need to realize that you're like a little newborn baby if you're going to do that. And what's one characteristic of a newborn baby? Well, one, of course, is he sleeps a lot. And pretty much when he's not sleeping, the other thing he does is eat. Because he loves to eat. And the point is, be a strong soldier. But in this way, to be an effective soldier and to win your battles, be like a little baby. And constantly desire the pure milk of the world. The, the world. The word that you may grow thereby, that you might become strong and mature 
and a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Just two observations here then on this point of the importance of this discipline. The first observation is this. We see here, remember I called it a chief discipline, one of the most important disciplines in the Christian life to take the Bible in and keep it in and hold it and be ready to use it. First observation is we see the supreme value of the Word of God when we read texts like this. For us, that means the supreme value of Scripture as a weapon in our warfare. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We should all have the highest esteem for this piece of weaponry as we fight the Christian battle. As you think of the Word of God, think of a text like the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning was the was i'm thinking of john 1 right now in the beginning was the word in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth how did he create the heavens and the earth we've had recent preaching on it by just speaking and the world came to being as it says in in psalm 33 verse 9 about god's creation of this world he spoke and it was done He commanded, and it stood fast. Right at the beginning of the Bible, brethren, the Bible tells us about the power of the Word of God. God just spoke, and these worlds came into being. The world scoffs at that. It laughs at that. Many people in the world laugh at you and me for believing that simple statement of the Bible, but it's the Bible's truth. It's, It's the truth of God about the creation of the world, but it demonstrates the power of the Word of God. Another passage I think of when I think of something that illustrates the power of God's Word, I think of Jesus standing there before the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers on the night that he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're told that they come against him and they have all these soldiers, there are hundreds of men standing there, and they say that, tell, tell, they tell Jesus who we're looking for. We're looking for Jesus. Remember what happened in John's account? Jesus says, I am he. And then it states, I think it's in verse 6. And when he spoke those words, they all fell back. It's the power of the word of God uttered by God, just like In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth with the power of his word. And Jesus sometimes demonstrated that same thing when he he worked miracles. Sometimes he just spoke the word and people were healed or sight was given to the blind. Brethren, we should always think of God's word. Whether when it was uttered at the beginning of this world or when it was spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ when he was on this earth, or when we think of the Word of God encased in our Bibles, Scripture, when we think of that, we should always think of the Word of God as mighty. As mighty. Tonight we're going to sing uh, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And part of the reason I chose it is because it has that, those lines in it. That word above all 
earthly powers, no thanks to them, that is the powers of darkness, abideth. And it says about Satan, and this is very relevant for uh, this passage in Ephesians 6 about the spiritual battle. We fight against the powers of darkness and especially relevant for this point on the sword. Speaking about the devil, Luther in his hymn said, one little word shall fell him. Why will one little word fell uh, a terrible foe like the devil? It will fell him if it is God's word. And this is what Paul said is your sword as a Christian to fight in this spiritual battle. We should believe what the scripture says about the power of the word of God. Believe it. In other words, take your shield of faith if you tend to doubt it. And then believing it, take care to take in the word of God for your soul. Understand as a Christian, when you think about how do I live the Christian life? How do I fight this difficult battle that God has placed me in? He's called me as one of his soldiers. And that means he's called me into battle. How do I fight? How do I live? How do I work through all this? Understand this about the word of God. I'm quoting from a a pastor of a, couple, of a century and a half ago named Thomas Murphy. He said this. He said, all the books on personal piety, personal holiness or godliness, all the books on personal piety that were ever written are not to be compared in wisdom, authority, or efficacy with the Bible. Believe that, brethren. And then demonstrate by your life that you believe that. I remember several years ago, we were entering, interviewing a woman for membership here at Trinity Baptist Church. And I remember the comment she made because it stood out to me. She said, I used to read devotional books all the time. But more recently, I've just been focusing more on reading the Bible itself. And I loved to hear that statement. Now, I have nothing against devotional books. I use them. But I like to make sure that I especially am spending my time reading the Bible itself. And the reason I do that is very simple. Because the Bible tells me that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. No other book is that. However good those books are. And I have a lot of books I really, really love. But God help me from ever loving them above the way I love the Word of God. The statement of that woman on that day reveals an appreciation for the unrivaled supremacy of the Word of God. Listen to Psalm 119 again, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. And later in the same Psalm, verse 127, therefore, I love your commandments. In other words, the same point. I love your word more than gold. Yes, more than fine gold. Show me a Christian who does not prize the word of God 
above any other writing, both in his thinking and in his practice, show me a person like that, and I will show you either a hypocrite, calls himself a Christian but is not, or someone who, though he may be a Christian, is in deep spiritual distress and danger. Or I could state it this way to fit with our theme, someone who will not be able to do battle with the powers of darkness and win by the power of God. So the importance of this discipline, the first observation is we see the supreme value of the word of God as a weapon in our spiritual warfare. The second observation is this, is that Bible intake is basic and foundational in the Christian life. It is basic and it is foundational or fundamental in the Christian life. Years ago, I read a book by a Navy SEAL. And in this book, there was a description of what Navy SEALs went through in their training. Talked all about how they become Navy SEALs. It's really grueling training that they undergo. And so, um, Navy SEALs engage really in the most... As they, as they carry out their tasks defending their country, they engage in some of the most important and complex of military intelligence operations. So they need to know a lot about the intricacies of fighting and warfare and so on. But the way to become a SEAL is not about knowledge of military strategy it's not about proficiency with weaponry or technology. It's not about experience in martial arts. All those things are taught to Navy SEALs once they qualify to be Navy SEALs. Those things all become a part of their knowledge and of their repertoire as fighting men. But the things that qualify someone to be a Navy SEAL are being strong physically and psychologically, being able to swim, being able to hold their breath for long periods of time underwater, having great endurance, having a very strong constitution, and so on. Otherwise, they will never become a Navy SEAL. They'll never be introduced to a weapon. They will never be taught about the intricacies of fighting and so on and, and doing clandestine uh, operations. Those are the things that qualify a man to be a SEAL and also they are things that a man has to maintain to remain a SEAL. You see what I'm saying? They are basic to getting into that kind of a position in our military. They are fundamental. They have to be attained and maintained all the time. And so I, I used that illustration in the basketball camp when I was preaching on this point. The, the young men were doing these drills and they would be done every day. And as they were being taught to do the drills, 
They were told that. You need to do these things every single day. You don't just do these drills every day now for ball handling, like putting the ball between your legs and doing this weave and behind your back and so on like that, and dribbling with one hand for so long and then with the other hand and back and forth. You don't just do it now and then you've got it for life. May I say it? You don't just train like you're becoming a policeman and then you stop your heavy physical training. And I love police officers and I, and I, uh, I back them and so on. When I, when I run into them on the street, I thank them for their service. But, you know, a lot of them do spend too much time at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and it's not a backhanded slap at police officers. But not Navy SEALs. They either keep doing the basics to keep themselves in the kind of position, position, uh, condition they were when they started as SEALs, or they're done. And this is how you should look at the Christian life and the very basic things. And may none, no one sitting here ever say what I once heard a pastor tell me that someone in his congregation told him when he asked him how he was doing spiritually and asked him about his devotional life, how he's reading the Word of God. He said, he said, I don't read the Word that much anymore. I've been a Christian for so long. I've read it over 20 times as if he doesn't need to bother himself with that anymore. Brethren, that kind of attitude is not, does not appreciate the things that we are looking at here today. This is important. These are things that we as Christians should do every day, like David wrote in Psalm 1 and verse 2. The righteous man meditates on God's Word all the day long. The Christian battle is won or lost in the basics. Peter said this in 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know are, and are established in the present truth. In other words, he's saying, I know that you know these things because they're very basic to the Christian life. And that's Peter's reason also for saying, therefore, as long as God still gives me life and breath, I'm going to keep reminding you of them. You know them because they're basic. They're basic because you need to stay in them all the time. They're crucial to your standing or falling, such as our knowledge of the Word of God and our readiness to use it in the Christian fight. This is that kind of important truth. So in fighting the spiritual battles in the Christian life, the basic disciplines especially include Bible reading and prayer. If you've been a Christian for long, these are the things you've heard all your life. And if you have, that's good. And as Peter says, you need to keep hearing them. And if you haven't heard these things before, this is one of the most basic things you need to know about the Christian life. Our focus today is going to be on the sword Bible reading and other means of Bible intake. And then in a couple of weeks, God willing, prayer, Ephesians 6.18. So we're looking at the preparation of your sword for battle, the basic dip discipline, Bible intake, 
the importance of this discipline. That's what we just finished. Third, and finally for this morning, three important guidelines to help you succeed in this discipline. All right, pastor says I'm supposed to take in the Bible. I've not been a Christian all that long. Maybe that's where you're at. How do I do this? It's a pretty big book. It's daunting. How do I do it? I have three points, and they come, by and large, from Pastor Martin's lectures on pastoral theology. I sat in those many years ago now, 30-plus years ago. And um, the primary focus of these lectures that we heard were on our personal devotional exercises, and that's where Bible intake comes in. So I have the three headings in which I'm borrowing Pastor Martin's wording, but I also am using that word intake, Bible intake, that came from Donald Whitney. So here are the three directives, three important guidelines for you. First, your intake of the word ought to be structured and consistent. The Bible is a huge book. Most, most Bibles have... Um, at least around a thousand pages or more. My Bible, since I use my Bible that I preach from to read, my Bible, as I look at it here, has 1,809 pages. I don't have more in my Bible than you have. I have bigger letters in my Bible than you have, so I can see them from, from this distance and preach. But I read it in the morning as well. Your intake should be structured and consistent. In other words, it's a huge book. You should try to know as much of what's in there as you can. If you're going to do that, you've got to read the whole thing. If you don't have a plan and some kind of a structure, it's not going to happen. Probably till you ever had a plan and you said, I'm going to make my plan and work my plan. Maybe you're just borrowing somebody else's schedule of reading the Bible, etc., or maybe you've uh, just set yourself to say, I'm going to read so many pages each day. If you don't do something like that, it probably has never happened in your life that you read the whole thing. You have to have some a structured and consistent way. First of all, structured, as I said, have a plan, a plan to get through the whole Bible. It doesn't have to be in a year. It doesn't have to be in two years, but over time you should. That same pastor I quoted earlier, Thomas Murphy, wrote this in his book. He said, adopt some rule of systematic devotional reading and let it not be intermitted for any trivial consideration. I think Pastor Smith last week mentioned something that fits right in there. Turn your phone off, he said. Put it away from you so that you not only have a plan, but then you actually do what you planned to do. Have a structured plan, and then you should be consistent, kind of like bodily exercise. Some of you maybe have gone through periods in your life where you've engaged in physical exercise. Then you neglect it. Maybe you had to neglect it because you had an injury. Maybe you just got too busy. Maybe you just got too lazy, and you neglected it. And you noticed what happened if you neglected it even for just a few weeks, let alone months. What happened? You try to go back to it again. Oh, I'm so sore. All right? You should think of this kind of spiritual training 
with many of the same principles as there are for physical training. You use it or you lose it. Remember what David said in Psalm 1 verse 2. He meditated in the law of God day and night. Psalm 119 verse 97 said that the word of God is my meditation all the day. I remember years ago reading a survey of born-again Christians, and it said that there were of the people who call themselves born-again Christians, all right? I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I know God, I've repented of my sins, I believe in Christ, I walk with God, etc., etc., etc. It said the number of those people who read their Bible every day was 18%. Fewer than one in five. In the spiritual battle, brethren, the result of neglect is far worse than sore muscles. If you haven't cracked your Bible in a few weeks, let me repeat that. The result for a Christian of not engaging in that discipline is far worse than sore muscles. We are in a life and death struggle as Christians. Brethren, don't be in the 80%. Be in the 20%. And my goal in saying something like that and, and preaching it to you is not to criticize the 80%. It's just to help make sure that you and I are not part of that number. May God help us. So your intake of the word ought to be structured and consistent. Secondly, your intake of the word ought to be systematic and comprehensive. Comprehensive, in other words, you do have a goal of covering the whole word of God over time. It's not a problem to focus, read more the New Testament than you read the Old Testament. Read more certain sections that you find helpful like Psalms or at certain times in your life, Proverbs, etc. But, but aim to read the whole thing. So let it be systematic and comprehensive. Aim to read the whole Bible as you read the Bible daily. Remember what, um, what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is profitable. J.C. Ryle is one of my favorite authors. Sometimes he says, these words ought to be written in letters of gold. Well, there are large sections of the book of Leviticus or other parts of the Old Testament, perhaps, where especially with historical or genealogical sections or descriptions of the temple and things like that. that Ryle never would say these should be written in letters of gold. But brethren, every one of the words of our Bibles is God's word. And it is pure gold, even though some are not as readily useful as others. But all scripture is profitable. Look at it that way and aim to read all of the word of God. Remember, Jesus said, man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Remember how Jesus said to the Sadducees, they may have known a lot of scripture, 
But remember what Jesus said to them. They were mistaken not knowing the Scriptures. They didn't know it all and what all the different parts meant and so on. It's important, brethren, to read the whole Word of God. Make it your aim to do that as a Christian who believes that every word is God-breathed and is vital for us. Brethren, you know these things if you're a Christian. If you've been a Christian for very long, you know them. They are very basic truths, the things I'm saying. Do you live up to what you know? Does your practice mirror your knowledge? And if someone wanted to know what value you as an individual place on God's holy word, would they be able to figure it out just by following you around in your life and watching you rather than you giving them a testimony, say something like, oh, I really love the word of God. Your intake of the word should be systematic and comprehensive. And then thirdly and finally, your intake of the word ought to be prayerful and meditative. It ought to be prayerful and meditative. Your goal is not just to get through the Bible. You know, I said I'm going to get through the whole Bible, so I'm going to read so much every day. And so next time the pastor asks me that question, I'm not going to feel so embarrassed and I'll be able to say, I read through the whole Bible this year, pastor. No, that's not your goal. Just to be able to say, I've read it. Now don't bother me about it. Certainly not. But when it says that your reading should be prayerful and meditative, one of the ways Pastor Martin explained that in our class was this. He said that you should consciously bow over your Bible daily. And, and you don't have to repeat these exact words, but mean, meaning with this kind of spirit and this kind of prayer. Bow over your Bible and cry out, Open my eyes, O Lord, that I might behold wondrous things out of your law as I open it and read it today. Or pray a prayer like we have in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. I'm coming to the Word of God. I'm conscious that it's so easy for me to read it in such a way that I've read a paragraph maybe or half a page. And then I looked up and I couldn't remember where I was. And then I started reading and I, oh, I, I, I just read that. In other words, my mind is not engaged the way it should be. It's easy to let that happen. And I'm conscious as I come to the Bible. We're going to especially see this tonight. But I want to know what my sins are, Lord. Well, Psalm 139, verses 23, 20, and 24. Read it with this prayer before you begin. Or at least with this spirit, brethren. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You're reading this for food for your soul. You're reading this for preparation for the battle, the spiritual fight that we're all in as Christians. Here are Pastor Martin's words again. When you read the Bible, you don't want to be just threading words through your eyeballs and waiting to be zapped. 
Brother, it's work. It's work to take in the Word of God and let it go to where it needs to get. So reflect on it and seek to, to bring your life under the scrutiny of the Word of God and then bring your life into conformity with what the Word of God says. You don't just read it, as Pastor Martin said, to thread it through your eyeballs. That's a danger, I think, for most of us. It's a constant danger for me. I was going to tell you about this story that I used to read to my kids in this book called The King's Daughter. I may have told about this story before. I thought, I need to go reread that to make sure I get the details right and I can tell this story. And I read it, and it was so gripping, I thought, I can't tell it that good. I'm going to read a good chunk of it. It's called Two Ways of Reading the Bible. It's a longer section than I'd usually like to read, but... It's a children's storybook, okay? So it's not going to be over your head. And I think you'll find it engaging. Two ways of reading the Bible. It talks about two young women, one named Kate and one named Lillian. Lillian was sick. Sick unto death. And so Kate visited her, and here's what it says. Would you like another chapter read to you, Lillian, dear? Asked Kate of the invalid cousin whom she had lately come from Hampshire to nurse. Not now, thanks. My head is tired, was the reply. Kate closed her Bible with a feeling of slight disappointment. She knew that Lillian was slowly sinking under incurable disease. And what could be more suitable to the dying than constantly to be hearing the Bible read? Lillian might surely at least listen if she were too weak to read the Bible for herself. Kate was never easy in mind unless she perused at least two or three chapters daily besides a portion of the Psalms. And she had several times gone through the whole Bible from beginning to end. And here was Lillian, whose days on earth might be few, tired with just one short chapter. There must be something wrong here, thought Kate, who had never during her life kept her bed for one day through sickness. She thought, it is a sad thing when the dying do not prize the word of God. So Lillian, she said, trying to soften her naturally quick, sharp tones to gentleness, I should think that now, when you are so ill, you would find special comfort in the scriptures. Lillian's languid eyes had closed, but she opened them and fixing her soft, earnest gaze upon her cousin, replied, I do. I do find special comfort in them. They are my support. Kate, I have been feeding on one verse all the morning. And then it goes on to explain what that verse is and how she was thinking about this word. And she said to her cousin, what do you think this word means? Here's what my thoughts have been about it, my meditations today. And then it says, Kate was silent for several seconds. She had been careful to read daily a large portion from the Bible. But to mark 
learn and inwardly digest it, she had never thought of trying to do. And then her cousin went on, Oh, Kate, if you only knew what sweetness I have found in that verse all this morning while I have been in great bodily pain. I am in the valley of the shadow. I shall soon cross the dark river. I know it. But he will be with me and not a stranger. And that was part of the verse that she mentioned. She was meditating on all day, all day from the book of Job. And then later on, Kate is thinking to herself about what she heard and learned that day. And she said this, Lillian has drawn more comfort and profit from one verse, nay, from three words in the Bible, than I have drawn from the whole book. I have but read the scriptures. She has searched them. I have been like one floating carelessly over the surface of waters under which lie pearls. Lillian has dived deep and made the treasure her own. Brethren, we need to be prayerful and meditative in our intake of the Word of God. That means you take time. That means you make time. There's some texts I had written in an old Bible that I have that I read for many years. And it was, it was very early in the Christian life. And these texts were just texts that struck me. And they especially fit with the idea of reading my Bible on a regular basis. One of them was Jeremiah 15, verse 16, where Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. And that made me think of a picture like this young girl, Lillian. She didn't just read them, she ate them. And she ate them because she was hungry for them. She hungered like a babe for the pure milk of the Word of God, knowing that it sustained her soul. Another passage that was in it was Isaiah 50, verse 4. He wakens me morning by morning, Wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. And I used to think, I love getting up in the morning and starting out the day reading my Bible. I still do it. And another passage that was there was Psalm 119, verse 131. I think part of it says, I, I think it's, op I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commands. Christian, is that you at all? Eating the Word of God, longing to hear it in the morning, longing for God's commands. You might say, well, when I, when, it was, when I was when I was a young Christian. It was when I was a new believer. Is that, is that all you can say today? Is that all you can say? There are two possibilities. That's representative, at least, of a backslidden state, isn't it? Makes me think of the old prophet in Israel. He had stopped preaching the word of the Lord. This is 1 Kings 13. That prophet from Judah comes up. He hears him boldly speaking his message to the king of Israel. And it ignites a fire in his bosom. And he says to his sons, go get that man and have him come here and talk to me. Thankfully, he was reignited. But that, that, that either represents a backslidden state or it represents the words 
of a temporary believer, a mere professor, as the Puritans called him. Either way, either way, if that's you today, you need to repent. Listen to the words. I hate to close on a negative note, but I'm just saving my... This is where I cut it. Saving the rest for tonight. Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. We'll end here for this morning. Brethren, we have a precious treasure in the Word of God. And it should be part, a big part, of whatever makes up our first love that John was referring to there in Revelation chapter 2. And if you've lost your first love for the Scriptures, may God grant it back to you beginning today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would help us to know this word better, to love it more, to read it and meditate on it constantly, and thus have ready our swords to do battle in the Christian fight into which you have called us. Hear our prayers. Renew our zeal this day, O God, and strengthen us in the inward man, using the pure milk of the word, that we might wholeheartedly follow Jesus Christ, our Savior, and that we might engage with all our might in that battle to which you have called us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.